0: you know, when he ends one of his letters, like, um, I can't even remember, <laughs> can't, even <laughs> quote, can't even quote him, what he does say, but he says something about, these are my final words, or something like that, these are my final words, and, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's been a challenging week, um, I, for all of us, I think, I mean, what happened uh, on Wednesday, if, uh, like me, you woke up to the news of Grenfell, Tower and just that tragedy that had unfolded there throughout the night um, and throughout that day. It, it was just horrific, wasn't it? And continues to be, and yeah, um, terrible. And a challenge for me personally because I woke up and I turn on, you know, look at BBC News on my phone and see, you know, fire in Tower Block in Notting Hill. And I think, oh my goodness. Um, Uh, because as Tim said, in September I begin as vicar of St. Peter's Notting Hill. Uh, The building, if you follow uh, driving, is 0.9 of a mile away, but probably as the crow flies, the tower is probably, as Tim mentioned, like half a mile or so from the church. So um, just juggling all that, just finishing up here, staying focused here, but also feeling, gosh, I I should go and connect and just be there and take it in and just be available to the community. I mean, what can we do? We can... We can only be available to serve in whatever way we can. So Wednesday evening, I, I chucked on the dog collar. Dog collar comes into its own on occasions like this. Um, and just went over there to, to just take it in and to wander around and to, to be there for anyone. Should they want to talk or um, seek counseling or just even a prayer uh, or a hug, whatever it might be. So went there and it was, it was truly... There are those moments in life, I think we probably all know them, where... Um, you're exposed to something and you know you'll never forget it and even though I'd seen all the images on the um, screen on our news feeds and it it was awful seeing it in the flesh was was something something different and just the horror of what's occurred there just really hit me and I, I think I felt it and I think how I'd express it is it was, for for me, it was just a a sort of vision of hell. It was just this hellish vision of a, a smoking tower block, a furnace, that had become the last resting place for so many people, so many people who still remain unfound, unaccounted for in that tower block. It's become a tomb. Just as hell was never designed for human beings, so this tower block was never designed to be the last resting place. For human life and and yet it is, and it's tragic, and I know we all feel it. I know we all wonder how can we how can we help how can we be involved? what difference can we make um, I think there's a possibly an opportunity to give tonight or give towards it. We, we want to make that possibility uh, for us as a church uh, to contribute to the funds that are being set up, that sort of thing but It's hard, you know, these things come along and they slightly, and rightly so, they ambush everything else. You know, I'm busy preparing a nice sort of last sermon, you know, um, final um, message to the flock. And and this happens and you need to hit it head on. You can't ignore it. And perhaps for you, you wonder, as I do, you know, is this really the best use of our time? Coming and gathering here in, in a church building on Parsons Green several miles from where this tragedy has unfolded, is there not something better we can do with our time, is there not something more fruitful, more proactive way we can get involved, that we can help, and there are proactive ways, and one of the amazing things has been to see the church step into the void, step into the gap, the gap perhaps left by what others may or should be doing, Um, let's leave that there, but the church is stepping up, just being there, being present, meeting with people, loving people, serving people. I went down again on Friday and um, just went to the St. Clement's Centre. and I mean, most of the time you hang around and you feel sort of useless, but you just want to be there. You want to be available. And, and seeing what was going on was, was inspiring. So there are practical things we can do. But what I want to say is being here tonight, what we're doing by gathering in the name of Jesus to fix our eyes on him, to meet with him, to be refreshed by his Holy Spirit, to hear his word is crucial. It's crucial for meeting these challenges because our world faces big challenges, doesn't it? Faces huge challenges. And the reality is that it will need big people to meet those challenges. No other way around it. The world needs big people at this time. I love uh, what I heard for the first time last week, another Bill Johnsonism, that but um, apparently uh, he says, I don't want to grow a big church, I want to grow big people. And I thought, I love that. And that's what we need to be, and that's what we seek to become every time we gather. You know, we don't gather, and at least I hope we don't gather, Maybe this is a parting message for us. Do not gather at church at St. Dionys for the five o'clock church just to be part of some sort of community club, some social club where you come for a good time to meet your mates, where you look forward to it finishing and going to the pub. Come to meet with Jesus Christ. Come to worship God. Come to expect his presence. Come expecting to be transformed, to grow so that you, so that all of us can go out into the world and make a difference and be those big people to face those big challenges. But if that's our aim, if that's our vision, if you like, then how do we become those big people? How do we grow as Christians? So that we truly can be and can take good news to the world out there. Because Yes, it's wonderful to respond with compassion and with practical acts of love and mercy in times like this, but our unique call as the church is to carry the message of hope that we alone have, that we know the gospel, that we know the resurrection. Jesus is alive, and that we can be big and bold to take that message out, a message that the world so needs to hear. How do we become those big people, those bold people? How do we grow? Well, it's all about tonight's message. And I'm amazed, constantly amazed by just God's ability to be in the detail, aren't you? Sometimes? I mean, if I if I could have picked a message to land on after three and a half years here at St. Dianus, picked a message that just correlates. That doesn't sound like a word, is it? Yeah, good. Back yourself, Pat. Correlates with my passion. With my sort of theological leanings, with all that I've sought, I think, to, to, to be about these last three and a half he- years here at St. Dee's and join and unite with, with Tim and what I would want to carry forth for the rest of my ministry. If I could have picked a message, it would have been the message that we happen to be looking at tonight anyway. Because we're in a series looking at life in the Spirit. And the, what the world needs to see at this time is a people transformed by God's Spirit, infused by His Spirit. And tonight's message, we are looking at the Word and Spirit. God's Word, God's Spirit, how they fit together, the difference that can make to our lives, because it is only through His Word and His Spirit that we will grow, that we will become those big people. So I couldn't have, I sort of couldn't have tuned it better. Only God can do that stuff. But I'm passionate about it because I've seen it change my own life. I wonder if that sort of connects with you when I mention sort of word and spirit, whether it's a passion for you. But I've shared this story a number of times, I'm sure, over the last few years. But perhaps you'll indulge me in my final preach. Just one last um, just outlaying of it, which is 18 years ago, 19 years ago, I I wasn't a Christian. and I went on a camp in the Easter holidays, my final year at school. I heard a talk, just before doing my levels, this was, I heard a talk on the evidence for the resurrection. The, the simple truth that what we believe in is founded on historical data that we can trust in. Evidence that we can look to. Arguments that we can explore. I heard a talk on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the evidence. And the penny dropped, my eyes were opened, and I suddenly realized this is all true. And excitement grew in my heart that evening, it was an evening talk. And the excitement grew because I knew if it's true, then it means that I can know this Jesus Christ, I can have relationship with him. So I went back to my room that night and I was excitedly went to bed, it's about sort of um, 11.30 and I just was reading my Bible and I was just like, just doing what I used to do back then without knowing God. And then there came a point and I just closed my Bible and I sort of prayed to the ceiling. I didn't know God. I was like, God, I know you're real. I believe you're real, but I don't know you yet. Come into my life. Long story short, the Holy Spirit filled my heart, filled my life. I just experienced these waves of love and kindness and peace and joy and hope and life filling me, overflowing within me just the goodness of God, a touch of his love by his Holy Spirit, I was filled. But at the same time, or just shortly after that, i had been enjoying that for about one minute, and bang, spiritual attack came upon me. And this presence, this presence of darkness just filled the room, seemed to deposit itself at the foot of my bed. It was now about 12.30 at night. Have you ever had that moment? You ever sense like there's a darkness, this is like weird, hairs on the back, you know, there's something here, it doesn't feel right. You know you've had it because if it's nighttime and you're at home and it's bedtime and, you know, maybe like me, you kind of think, do I need to turn the light off to go to sleep? I don't, I don't think I do tonight, do I? You kind of leave the light on. Like, do I need a wee to go down the corridor? No, I'll hold it in. I'll be fine. You know, it's that sort of stuff was going on. Vulnerable, being honest. <laughs> it was quite scary. I knew something was going and I couldn't shift it. I was like, Lord, take it away. And I was searching the scriptures like, what's this about? Give me something to stand on. Ah, and it was just there. It was just like, and you know. I couldn't see it, but I could sense it. And so I prayed, Lord, show me. Show me something in your word that speaks of this, that will, will dispel this. And in my mind's eye, I saw the pages of the Bible literally begin to sort of flutter like this. You know, as if the wind is blowing them. Like, and then... It blew the pages to the book of Ephesians, which if you want to turn with me now, page 1,112. So put a finger in page 1,112. And in my mind's eye, you with me still? I saw the name Ephesians. I was like, fantastic. That's a good start. And then... I saw right under that the number 10 and 11. And I thought, awesome, God, this is really working. This stuff works. So I like flicked through and I, you know, was in Galatians, then I went Ephesians 1, 2, 3. So obviously that that means chapter 10, verse 11, right? Two numbers. So 3, 4, 5, chapter 6, and then into Philippians 1, 2, 3, 4. It's like, oh my, there's no chapter 10. Sort of heart sinks. But then I'm like, my eyes fall down on the page. And I think, well, Let's just read. Scripture's good, right? Let's just begin to read here. And I began reading just under the heading, The Armour of God. Let's read that together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I just read that first line and was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is good stuff. This is what I needed. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I was thinking, yes, amen to this. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. One weapon the Christian is given, and it is the Word of God. And that is a sword, and it's the Spirit's sword. That's what we're looking at tonight. You know the amazing thing? I got to the end of that. The presence just lifted in the room. Joy, peace, hope flooded back. I was able to go to the loo. Wonderful, A great relief all around. (laughs) And then I looked in the margin. I thought, what, you know, verse are we on here? And I looked in the margin of my Bible there, and instead of two columns in my Bible, it went all the way across. And I looked in the margin and I'd begun reading, finally, if you look down, at verse 10. And the line was so long across the page that verse 11 began immediately below it. So that in the margin I saw the numbers 10, 11. You see, God even knew which edition of the Bible I was using and how the verses would appear in the margin. Isn't that good? Isn't He good? And he delivered me on that night. He brought me freedom. He brought me healing. He took me to a higher place. And isn't that what we need at this time? Isn't that what our world needs? A message of life and hope. And that's what we long to be as a church. That's what we value as a church. We're looking tonight at the Word and the Spirit. And one of the things I've loved about being here, just uniting with Tim and the team here, is just having such similar DNA. It was such an easy fit when I and the graft, when we came across and we just slotted into everything that that Tim and Joe and the team here were going after as a church. Why? Because our DNA was the same. We are Word and Spirit people. So on one level, we love and take the Bible super seriously. You know, we, we set up the Believer's Toolkit because we want to have special nights where we go deeper in it, where we look to equip you with what you need to live the Christian life. From going deeper in God's word together. But at the same time as taking the Bible seriously, we take the Holy Spirit seriously. We, we want to seek more of him. We want to wait for him and be filled by him. So we set up presents a couple of years ago. Evenings where we come together as a church to just worship him, to wait on him, to do the invisible stuff, which we're not very good at doing as Westerners, just waiting quietly. Is anything happening? It's like, well, just Wait. Because the Spirit honors that waiting. We seek to hold together word and spirit. We seek to go after those things. It's not like any church is saying, oh, we don't like that stuff. I mean, there's no church saying, like, we we, we love the word, but no, we don't do the Spirit. And no one's saying, like, we love the Spirit, but don't like the word. The trick is getting the balance. And it's been a joy to be part of a church where I think, at least I hope, We try and hold both together in balance. Amen? Now when I was researching this week, uh, when I come to do a talk, I like to sort of sit down, read the scripture, meditate, start jotting some thoughts. And then there comes after a day or two, like a time when I want to research a bit. And I go online and I sort of just Google the topic that I'm looking at. And I Googled Word and Spirit put it in my laptop, and normally, page one, you know, you, it brings up just endless pages of results. But if we're honest, most of us with anything, we, we normally look at page one. Very rarely do you go to page two. On this occasion, for some reason, I chose to go to page two. And on page two, I stumbled upon a book review for a book called Word and Spirit, which is written by a guy called the Reverend Will Donaldson who happens to be none other than the father of Catherine and Ellie Donaldson sitting right over there on my left, back in the congregation. And I was delighted with this, so I enjoyed this, and we had a bit of WhatsApp, and there was a bit, of, uh, a bit of humor about it. But then I immediately sought out the book, because it sounds rather relevant. Luckily, Catherine had it. So this is the book, and I began reading it. And in the foreword, because that's as far as I've got in the book, <laughs> um, <laughs> in the foreword, Will uses an an amazing analogy, which I'm going to use for the rest of my days, where he talks about the first time he ever went skiing. And the first tip you get when you go skiing is to keep the skis together. You know, two long bits of sort of fiberglass on the bottom of your feet. You don't want them crisscrossing. You want to keep them together in parallel when you're making your turns, when you're coming to a stop, whatever you're doing, keep them side by side. Because disaster can strike should one ski cross the other. I mean, just ask Shane Porter if you don't believe me. I mean, no, we bless you, Shane. But, you know, you're a beginner. It's, it's, we've all been there. There's a lot of love for that man. Just couldn't resist. Final preach. Got to take him. Nope, you're not allowed to speak. Keep the skis together. What Will says is you've got the Word of God, you've got the Spirit of God, you've got to keep them side by side. You've got to keep them in tension. So that's... My first point, I'm only making two points tonight, but the first point, the key to remember when it comes to the Word and the Spirit is keep the skis together. What I want to show you just now is just a few scriptures, just charting the Bible. We've only got time to look at a few, but just just to quickly draw out this principle of how the Word and the Spirit always go together in Scripture. They're inextricably linked. So if we could have the first slide, please. Are you enjoying this? My final preach here. I've finally gone multimedia. (laughs) Are you impressed? I mean, Notting Hill, they're not going to have a clue what's hit them. Other than that, I don't think they've got a screen or a projector. So we'll need to work on that. But Genesis 1-1. Right at the start of the Bible, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said... Let there be light. Right there, the first three verses of Scripture, we see the presence of the Spirit, and at the same time, just a few words later, we see the presence of God speaking, speaking His Word. We see Spirit and Word together. Let's move on to the next slide. Isaiah, one of God's prophets in the Old Testament, says this, as for me, this is... this is." The Lord speaking, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I've put in your mouth will always be on your lips. Word and spirit together. Next slide is possibly the most famous, one of the most famous quotes from Isaiah. Jesus takes up these words when he begins his ministry saying, this is my calling, it says the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because the lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He says some other stuff, but I've just sorted it. To proclaim freedom for the captives, to proclaim the year of the lord's favor. In other words, the calling of Isaiah, God's chosen man, his prophet, the calling of Jesus that he owns and takes on himself, our calling now as the church Is to be filled with the Spirit of God, to have the Spirit resting on us, but then to proclaim, proclaim, proclaim. Do you see how the Spirit and the Word are always linked? That's just skimming through the Old Testament. But in the Bible, we see that the Word and the Spirit are as closely connected to each other as breath and speech. Have you ever said a word without using a breath? Just to bring it home, just turn to a neighbor right now. Try and say the word hello without using breath. Go. (laughs) Only in St. Dionysus would there be noise at this point because it's impossible. There should be utter silence. No one's achieved it. Don't even pretend. You see my point? And back, always a risk putting it out there. Just socialize, just like, yeah, how was your week? Okay, yeah. (laughs) Are we back? It's a gentle rebuke. (laughs) Word and spirit go together, like breath and speaking. We see it in the New Testament. Have we got the next slide? Acts 1.8, Jesus speaking to his disciples saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. Now go on to the next slide, please, Pammy. Spirit comes on the disciples, you will be my witnesses. The disciples go about causing chaos. The Sanhedrin, the religious police call them in and Peter speaking to them says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. (laughs) It's quite straight talking and we skim down a line or two, it says, we are witnesses of these things. In other words, Jesus said, the Spirit will come, you will be witnesses. How will they be witnesses? By using words. Hopefully the point is clear. But just one or two more things. Peter, again, writing in his letter. He writes, for you have been born again. We can clear the slides, thanks, Pammy. For you have been born again, Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. Born again through the Word of God. That's what Peter says. Is that any different to when Jesus said, Walking this earth, you must be born again through the Spirit? You remember when he says that? No difference. Used interchangeably. And then Jesus himself speaking. This blew my mind when I first saw it. John 6, verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. And they are life. Give me a wave if you've got a friend who who calls themselves, you know, they say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. That is where the culture is at now. People love to think of themselves as spiritual. What they mean by that is they think that that is something that needn't be defined. And yet, Jesus says here that his very words are spirit. In other words, my words can bring life, life to you, and life to others. That this book isn't just a book, it is living, it is alive. It has the power to give new life. When the Spirit and the Word come together, there is life. And we're a church that wants to make an impact. We want to change our community for Christ. We want to be those big people that I spoke about, don't we? To do so, we'll need to be filled with the Spirit. So the question is, how do we receive more of God's Spirit? Well, the Bible clearly says that the more we're in the word as believers, the more we are likely to have God's spirit living in fullness within us. I say the more we're likely because it's, it's not a simple contract. It's not as if you can be living however you wanna live and you just pick up the Bible and the spirit of God will fill you with wonderful feelings. It's not like you can be going your own way and doing living a life that displeases him and yet he will fill you just by picking up the word of God. The Bible and reading it. We have to be seeking Him. We have to be inviting Him. We have to be honoring Him because the Holy Spirit is a person. And He demands, He looks for people who will honor Him, who will invite Him, who will welcome Him, who will live a life that's pleasing to Him. Because if we don't, then you will experience the Bible just being a dry thing, a lifeless thing, just being words about God rather than the Word of God. Anyone ever had that experience before? But with the Spirit, living a life that's pleasing to the Spirit, honoring Him, this book becomes the very Word of God. That's the difference. That's what we're seeking. And Catherine last week used the illustration classic Christian illustration. I think I used it the week before, and uh, Nikki Gumbel's been using it for years before that. But of Christians being like household boilers. Everyone's got a boiler in their home, right? And a boiler, if it's on, at least should have a a pilot light, which means that it's always always lit. But when the boiler kicks into gear, so every Christian is a pilot light Christian. Every Christian who confesses Christ has the Holy Spirit living within them. It's impossible to say, I believe in Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. So you all, if you know and love Jesus tonight, you have the Holy Spirit on you. But I would say, perhaps not all of us are spirit-filled with the fullness we can expect. Christians, that's the difference between a boiler when it's just the pilot light, but when you go to use the boiler and it kicks into gear. But that's available for each one of us tonight. Because the Spirit invites us to seek more of Him. To be filled that's one example, the, the boiler. Another I like, an image I like, is, is more of a bonfire. What do you need to make a bonfire? love making bonfires. You need a flame, and you need fuel. Yeah, you're right, mix. Wood. Logs. Well, not necessarily logs. Normally rubbish, but um, let's go with logs. You need fuel, and you need a flame. The Spirit... Is the flame in our lives, in our hearts. The Word of God is the fuel. You see, some Christians, they're satisfied just to to think, Well, I've got the Spirit. I don't need the fuel. I'm just going to ask for more of the Spirit. But the Spirit's there saying, Will you please add some fuel? Will you please stir things up? Feed this flame because I want to burn like a bonfire within you. Others are like, I've got loads of fuel. I love the fuel. But I'm not so keen on the flame. Don't need the flame. And the logs aren't really saying anything because they're just logs. <laughs> and the flame is saying, let me near the logs. Does that make sense? The right balance is a marriage of the two, is flame, and fuel together is bonfire time. Amen? We'll have a bonfire in here later. You'll see what I mean. We won't. There's a well-known maxim in Christian circles, you've probably heard it, that says, Word without spirit, you dry up. Spirit without word, you blow up. Word and spirit together, you grow up. What do we want? We want to grow up, don't we? (laughs) This morning I made a rubbish joke, like, we want to blow up, don't we? No, we don't. It went down as bad as well as that. We want to grow up in Christ, don't we? We want to be those big people. We want to serve the world. We need both. The world needs big people to face big challenges. We need His Word and His Spirit. So let's seek both of them. Let's keep the skis together. Now that said, whilst the word the word and the spirit do always go together, the spirit will never say anything and will never lead you to do anything that is contrary to his written word. And he has an independence to the word. So yes, the skis go together, but at the same time, changing metaphor, the Holy Spirit is not a ski. He's not an object. He is a person. He is part of the Trinity. He is God, the Holy Spirit. So, he has an independence. So, whilst it's absolutely right to keep the skis together side by side, word and spirit, it's also important to recognize that the spirit is so much more. Not only is the spirit the author of God's word and our teacher in how to read it, in how to ski, he's the creator of the mountain range itself. And as such, he's our guide. When we're on it, he's our guide. So keep your skis together, yes, but also keep your eyes on the guide. This is my second and brief point. Keep your eyes on the guide. We've seen how closely aligned the Spirit and the Word are meant to be skis side by side. But at the same time, the Bible teaches the independence of the Holy Spirit to his Word. So in John 15, Jesus speaking to the disciples says says, are you tracking with me? I know it's a rich diet tonight. You know, I didn't want to give you an easy go on my final preach. This is valuable. Jesus says to his disciples, you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. In other words, you have my word. The Holy Spirit is at work within you. You are saved. You are redeemed. The Holy Spirit is moving within you. He says that in John 15. And yet, John 20, he goes on to say, he breathes on them and says, receive Holy Spirit what didn't they already have him then in Acts you remember that He, he commands them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father he commands them to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit so we can clearly see that there's an independence of movement between the word of God and the Spirit of God but doesn't that doesn't negate needing both or holding them together Jesus is saying you have my word you also need my spirit wait for my spirit pray for my spirit that's why Ephesians 5:18 says be filled with the spirit the greek literally means go on being filled continuously because you leak there's no end to the fullness you can receive from me god says go on being filled it's not a once in a lifetime experience And he wants that because the Holy Spirit transforms us, doesn't he? I mean, that's what transformed my life, my walk with Christ, brought me to faith, was encountering the love of God through the Holy Spirit in that bed all those years ago. Encountering that power, those waves of love and mercy. This morning we had Claire in the congregation. can't see Caroline here today, but I've loved being involved in the Alpha course this last term here at St. Dee's because we have seen genuine fruit, life-changing fruit for Claire and Caroline. Who We've done the whole course, right? I mean, if you've done Alpha, you know how it works. You come, uh, guests come, you eat a meal, you, you hear a talk, see it on the big screen. You have the material, you receive the Word. The Bible study is sort of prepared, laid out. You have the discussion, you reason about it. You chat about it. They'd done all this. Six, seven weeks they'd done of it. Nothing had shifted or changed within them. And then we go on the Holy Spirit weekend with HDB with a few hundred others. And it's in a time where we just stand after one of the talks, no emotion, no music. We just invite the Spirit of God to come and fill that place, fill each person there, meet with people. And the Holy Spirit touches each of their hearts fills them with a sense of His love for them. No Bible study going on right at that moment. Just an invitation for the Holy Spirit to come and change lives. And they testified to me. Claire was just testifying to me again today at lunch that her life has been changed. Caroline wrote me a, a le- lovely letter last week. I look forward to receiving your letters. Uh, just, just saying... My life has been changed, transformed by God through that moment. It's the Holy Spirit, guys. Don't we need that? Don't we want more of that? Doesn't our world deserve that? Deserve to hear the truth? Deserve to have an invitation? Don't friends, colleagues, loved ones of yours at least deserve the opportunity to say no to an invitation to go to the Emirates Stadium? to hear J. John, to hear the invitation about life. Don't they deserve that chance, the right to say no, get out of my face? They might say yes. They might be touched. They might come home. The Holy Spirit can do more than we can ever ask or imagine. This is what we need. This is what our world needs. And the Holy Spirit can give these things, wants to give these things, He's our guide. And yet he operates independently at times of his word. I'm I'm going to Notting Hill, to this new church. If you've seen pictures of it, just allow me. I know I'm going on a bit, but you know, final time. (laughs) I'm going to this new church. If you've seen pictures of it, it's a stunning building. Beautiful. So the last couple of months, my... I've had a sense, a sort of prophetic word. What that means, if you're new to these things, is just independent of anything written in Scripture, I've just had a sense of what God's speaking to me, giving me insight about for that church, for that people there. And the sense has been tied up with the building, because my concern is that there'll be some people there who love being part of St. Peter's Church because they love the building. And they think church is building. Someone once gave me a book just about beautiful medieval church buildings, thinking you're you're a vicar, you'll love that. I don't love buildings, I admire architecture, but my concern for them is for them to know that the church is not a building, it's a people. And so I've had this word, it's been this phrase, it's been going through my mind for the last two months, which has been the only way to keep this building standing, because they love it, they keep it, they spend a lot of money on it. The only way to keep this building standing is if the people inside it are on fire. And how I wanted to unpack that was like, obviously fire is normally the, the enemy of any building. It brings destruction. But this fire, this spiritual fire, is what will bring life and what will maintain the building. Because it will see people come to Christ. It will see numbers grow. It will see the giving go, go up. And so the fabric of the church will be protected for generations to come but only if they're spiritually on fire. That's been the phrase in my mind. And then Grenfell happens. Does that strike you as weird? I carry that with a sort of holy fear, a humility, as I go to preach there next week and feel somehow I must still speak to that word, share that. But how true it might be, how much it might connect with them. I didn't read that in the Bible, I sensed it from the Holy Spirit. He operates independently from the Bible, but how much does that community up there that's been damaged by physical fire need to be impacted by a community that's been changed by spiritual fire? Does that make sense? You'll have your own stories, how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. What I'm saying is, yes, go to the Bible, yes, put logs on the flame, on the fire but also invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to guide you in words, in pictures, in dreams, through other people speaking into your your life. He longs to do that. The Bible makes clear we're called to have jobs. He wants us to work. He wants us to pay taxes, to provide for ourselves and, and others. It's good to have a job, but it doesn't tell you which job to get. It doesn't say in Romans, you know, thou shalt take a job with, Ernst and young, for several years, and then move on, the world will be your oyster. It doesn't say that. But do you think God is interested in where you work? Of course He is. Do you think it's worth asking the Holy Spirit to lead you to be your guide on that mountain range? Or life partner, husband, wife. Many will want to be married. They'll want wisdom. You know, the Bible does say that he who finds a wife finds what is good and finds favor from the Lord. Strangely, it doesn't say the same about finding a husband. I don't know why that is. (laughs) It says it's good, yes. Gives advice about the character you should look for. But it doesn't give a description. I'm sorry, ladies, but there's no verse in Leviticus that says he shall be six foot three, blonde hair, speak three languages. You know, there's no specifics. And yet the Holy Spirit will want to guide you. He'll want us to seek him, to come to him for wisdom. Because he's God, he's our guide. And he invites us to be filled. As I come into land, brothers, sisters, as I prepare to leave this church in the next couple of weeks, I couldn't have planned a better topic to land on personally, one that's closer to my heart. Couldn't have imagined, though, a more challenging backdrop to preach it in. You see, Grenfell Tower has impacted my next parish, even as I deliver my final preach in this parish. That Wednesday morning, I received an email from Tracy, who heads up the nursery school connected with the church, informing me that little Amaya—do we have that picture, Pammy? Little Amaya and her mother, Amala. And Father Mo are missing. I couldn't have imagined that happening this week. None of us could. This backdrop, this situation. And yet, what we're looking at tonight speaks to that, strengthens us, enables us to be good news, and to go out and carry good news to people who desperately need to hear it. Let's pray for Amaya. Let's pray for her family. I don't think there's been news. I think she is lost. But the amazing thing is, thanks Pam, the amazing thing is that every word in this book is relevant to every circumstance in life. We could have been neck deep in Deuteronomy, a series in the Old Testament, and yet God's word on that passage, whatever it was, would have had something to say about Grenfell because it's God's word. And to be on this topic, looking at how we mature, how we grow strong, how we become a a people capable of meeting the big challenges of life. Well, for me, I just chalk that up as another example of God's goodness, his sovereignty, his being in every detail of our lives, that he loves us, he knows us, he's leading us, he's guiding us. A God who knows and loves every soul from Grenfell. A God who knows every hair on Amaya's head. And who's there for the people left behind. A God who longs for a message of hope to reach them. Beloved, you are my friends, you are my family. And whether I see you next week at the final five, Or perhaps our paths don't cross till glory. Go well. Stay strong. Keep your skis close together. And your eyes on the guide. Amen. Amen. We're going to celebrate.